This episode of Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is supported by DB. DB is a Scandinavian brand that makes backpacks and bags to help people like you get on the move and stay ready for anything. Doesn't matter if you're going from the streets or you're going to the peaks. DB's gear is travel tested by athletes and adventurers and people who love to be out and about. And over the past decade, they've designed and developed and released and refined some of the best bags on the market. Uh, They've got this patented hookup system. You're able to attach smaller products to your backpack, your roller, or your tote. And, you know, we're getting back out there, kind of, maybe. And if you're doing some traveling, you know how important it is to make sure you've got the right gear to get where you need to be. So we're teaming up with DB to exclusively offer our listeners 10% 10 off your next purchase by using the code POD10. Or just go to the link in our show notes. DB, it's time to move on, and it's time to get going. Now, let's get going on some rock and roll bedtime stories. Hey, you awake? Yeah. I just want you to know I hate you. So is my dad. Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God. Why don't you tell me a story? How do you sleep at night? I don't want to hang out with a bunch of wannabe corporate sellouts. Ah, yeah, another week. Rock and roll bedtime stories. We are back here to set straight the rumor and innuendo. You've heard about your favorite bands and your favorite songs. My name is Brian Murdoch. My partner in crime is under the weather, very under the weather, too sick to uh, join me this week. So I'm going to fly solo, but you and I are still going to have a lot of fun because, man, we've got a lot of stuff to dig through. Uh, Wow. This week, we are tackling a a subject that... um, it's pretty dense. There's a lot out there about it. And over the past few months on this show, we featured several stories that have circled around this idea of performers and artists not really being who they say they are. And like we talked about Andrew WK. There were controversies that surrounded him. We talked about Rick Ross pretending to be a guy named Rick Ross. In that conversation, we talked about Lana Del Rey. And a while back, we discussed this image that Kiss leaned into, right? About being knights in Satan's service, even though... The only false god Gene Simmons seems interested in worshiping is the dollar bill. So in the aftermath of all of this, uh, we have had a lot of folks reach out to the show and and bring up what might be the ultimate in rumor and innuendo. Now, we do promote ourselves, as you just heard me say, as the tacklers of such subjects. So it makes sense that we might need to spend some time talking about the supposed relationship between rock and roll and that infamous group known as the Illuminati. Now, <laughs> a couple of notes before we dig our heels in. I want to talk about two books. Anybody that knows me knows I like to recommend books. This is like what I do. People that do know me right now are rolling their eyes. Uh, okay, one of these books doesn't deal directly with the Illuminati, but it digs in, in the areas around this, right? Uh, it's this book called Them by British journalist John Ronson. He has this interesting setup where he like creates this whole package. He'll do a book. He'll do like a documentary series. He'll do some audio stuff. He did one about the pornography industry that w- was a podcast, I think, that, that he might have done directly with Audible or someone in the last couple of years. But this book, Them, is fairly old. I want to say it's, uh, I don't know, maybe almost 10 years old or older. But he runs around with people who have been marked kind of as extremists, right? And no spoilers, but like at one point he's hanging out with Alex Jones, and this is like before anyone knew who Alex Jones was. The book is that old. Um, He actually attends a Bilderberg meeting 
which is amazing. Uh, like he just just keeps trying to get close to the the place where they're holding it and stuff. It's really, really, really interesting, and um, it, it gets close to this, especially on the Bilderberg chapter. The second book gets us a little more squarely on the subject, and it's a text that actually introduced me to the concept of the Illuminati at the ripe old age of nine. Now, here's the thing that a lot of people don't understand, though if you listen to me talk on this show, it's becoming more apparent, which is there's this filter when you grew up in a Christian household in the 80s and 90s, a very extremely religious right-wing Christian household. There was a filter you learned about everything through. So I have these conversations with people all the time about things, and they learned about it through a conversation or school or you know some sort of more I'm not even I'm not gonna say normal but more typical way of learning about it whereas I've learned about half the things I know the first thing I heard about had some sort of Christian angle to it so there was this book on my parents bookshelf when I was growing up and it was called the Illuminati and it was not a it was not a nonfiction book it was a novel written by a guy who typically didn't write novels very strange it was this guy named Larry Burkett. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard his name. You probably haven't. Let me give you a little background. Fascinating asides about Larry Burkett. So I looked up this book, first of all, to see if I could find it on the internet. And I can. There's been a reissue of it. And that you can find. And and I think because it was written so long ago, there might be some adaptations and some updates and stuff that have happened over the years. But... There are a few paperback copies of the original 1992 edition of this on sale on Amazon for $900. 902.81 is the going rate for a 1992 authentic paperback version of this book. So I immediately texted my dad and asked him if he had this copy and if I could just borrow it forever. Um, my mom found it. She went as soon as she heard $900. You know, they're always you know they're smart. They they could use 900 bucks. She went looking for it. She dug it out of somewhere. She sent me a text like two days later and was like, look what I found. Are we going to make big money? Um, so if you are interested in seeing this book in its original form, a cool 850 bucks to my mom. <laughs> or just send it to the show in care of my mom. Okay, so the other thing about this that I feel like I have to bring up, which is really strange, is this is part of this Christian thriller movement. So there was like this thing in the Christian publishing industry where they were writing these thrillers that have this spiritual component to it to cash in on the fact that even in the 90s, everybody loves a good, like, true crime-ish sort of thing, right? We're we seeing that play out in front of us now, culturally. This has been going on forever. Good, scary novel, but we'll put some Christian themes in it. The, the godfather of this was this guy named Frank Peretti. Now, that's a whole other podcast, but I will just say as an aside for anybody, for the benefit of anybody who's ever heard of this guy or wants to Google him, those books freaked me out. They were on this, I can picture the bookshelf where the Illuminati and the Frank Peretti books sat in the house that I grew up in at the top of the stairs, passed them every day to go into my room. And man, they kept, they kept me in line because the, the, I wanted to say that the Frank Brady books were called clear and present danger. That is not correct. That is not what they were called. Um, it might've been called clear and present darkness or something like that. Um, but Harrison Ford was not involved though. My mom would have loved it if he was, because my mom also two things she loved Frank Peretti books and Harrison Ford. And they conflicted sometimes. So if they were together, we, there's a joke that my kids and or my uh, siblings and I still make when we're talking about parenting our kids about the Harrison Ford rule, which is like we weren't allowed to watch any movies that weren't like Disney movies or rated PG 
unless they had Harrison Ford in them. And then sometimes we, they just all the roles went out the window. Like Air Force One is my mom's jam. And like she was trying to get me to watch that way before I should have. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I'm getting off subject. Let me stick to these, this book, this Illuminati book. This guy, Larry Burkett, like I said, not normally a novelist. He was basically like the Dave Ramsey of the 80s. He worked in electronics in the 70s. He becomes a Christian, and he starts doing campus ministry. And he meets these finance dudes, and he starts studying what the Bible says about money. And he turns it into an empire. I guarantee you Dave Ramsey influenced by Larry Burkett. I've not read any interviews I should have now that I think about it. I wish I'd done that during this research just to see if I could get a, a Dave Ramsey referencing Larry Burkett reference. Larry Burkett wrote 70 books, three syndicated radio segments, and in 1991, he wrote this book that basically kind of, this is generous, but it kind of predicted the 2008 housing crisis. But then he writes this novel in 1992. He writes The Illuminati, and it's supposed to take place in 2001 when the world is on the edge of this economic collapse, which is what he predicted in that other book. Um, and it's mostly just like Christian propaganda. I do recommend the Goodreads reviews on this one. They're really fun. It's a good time. Uh, there's even one where a guy recounts how when he was nine, all of his classmates had to take a standardized test for three days. And so he read this in class. <laughs> Strange, but I do love it. Thanks, social media. Anyway, me having a high level understanding of what this book was and the fact that since my parents were reading it, obviously the Illuminati had something to do with the devil. Uh, that has long shaped most of my real understanding of what the Illuminati is. Put simply, evil bad guys who control money. That's like all I knew, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. Uh, this is a rock and roll podcast, and we are going to get to the rock and roll ties to Illuminati lore because they do exist. I mean, they're all over the place. But since I obviously need a little education in this area, and maybe you do too, I'll give you a quick primer on what the legend of the Illuminati really is and where it comes from. Shouts to this dude, Phil Edwards at Vox. He wrote a great piece outlining a lot of this back about five years ago. Obviously, it's going to be in the show notes, and I heavily borrow from it here. Basically, in a historical sense, the term Illuminati refers to the Bavarian Illuminati. Secret society operated for a decade. So this is crazy to me. We've still talking about this, like, you know, lots of years later, and it really only... 1776 to 1785. That was the extent of the Illuminati actually existing. Founded by a German law professor who believed strongly in enlightenment ideals and wanted to make a group of people he thought would be worthy and smart enough and educated enough in the ways of reason and philanthropy and other like secular values separated from religion so that they could then influence political decisions when they got to power. So he's going to make real smart people, they'd get the power, and then since they were all kind of you know, on the same page, then they'd control everything the way he wanted to and the way they decided collectively they wanted to, right? At its largest, the the actual historical version of the Illuminati only consisted of somewhere between like 650 and 2,500 people. But it grew to that size by becoming a sort of sleeper cell within other groups. So Illuminati members joined Freemason lodges, to recruit members for their own competing secret society, and they did other stuff. This is a theme, right? Because we'll talk about this more. But what kind of happens is the Illuminati becomes this real catch-all for everything people think is nefarious. We just throw it in under that label. We'll call it the Illuminati. So these things start to get confusing. Like, what's the difference between a Freemason and Illuminati? I'm not going to go through all that. You can do all that, but just know 
that the stuff starts, the, the, the pot starts to get stirred and the things start to get mixed up, the ingredients. Historians tend to think the Illuminati were only mildly successful at best in becoming influential. Um, now, of course, there are those who also believe the Illuminati successfully took over the world and still control today. So if an all-powerful group does dominate the world, we probably wouldn't know about it if they were as good, a, as good at it as we want to think they are, right? So I don't know. Even saying that, I'm confused. Uh, but it's also difficult to untangle the success of the Illuminati from that of the Freemasons, like I said, because they did infiltrate and commingle with the Freemasons. Um, it's just really tough to tell what influence the Illuminati actually had as opposed to what people have kind of assigned to them because it's gotten so murky. Now, it is important to note that one key component of these guys was their weird secret vibes, like symbols, pseudonyms, hierarchies. I mean, this is the stuff that, that lends itself to lore, right? When you're not clear about things, people assign kind of their worst impulses to it. And in 1785, the Duke of Bavaria, Carl Theodore, it's a really normal name for the Duke of Bavaria, he banned secret societies. Evidently, this was a problem, probably for his own ego, because he wasn't in any of them, right? It's like if you were in high school and you just banned sports. I ban sports. It's not good for any of us, but you're not on the team. Uh, so he instituted punishments for anybody who joined these secret societies. And then any secrets he could find out, he published. So if you believe most historians, at this point, the Illuminati kind of disappears. But let me tell you, if you want something to catch fire in terms of mythology, the best thing to do is to ban it, Right? Almost immediately after the Illuminati were disbanded, conspiracy theories about the group start. What are some of these? Um, there's one about the Illuminati being behind the French Revolution. There's one about Thomas Jefferson being part of the Illuminati. I mean, it makes its way over to America. But eventually, this silliness sort of fizzles out. Never completely disappears, but not a super big deal for a long time. But... Then it makes a comeback. 21st, if, if you want to talk about its presence in the 20th and 21st century, we get to thank two dudes named Bob. Officially named Robert, but I'm going to call him Bob. Bob Shea and Bob Anton Wilson. In the mid-70s, these two dudes write a trio of novels, the Illuminatus Trilogy. And these books depict the Illuminati... And they, they're confusing because what they do is it's all fiction, but they use like the actual guy who founded the Illuminati, like the real historical figure. He's a character. And all of this puts the Illuminati back on the radar. So we have some like basically some sci-fi novels in the 70s to think for about half of the content that's on YouTube right now. <laughs> We'll get to that content. I'm going to play you some of that content from YouTube coming up. Okay. So, how does this all connect to rock and roll? Over time, the Illuminati movement basically just becomes this blank slate representing whatever we want to say is we don't like, right? Any imagined nefarious occult or anti-Christian intrigue that needs a label to give it substance. More often, the Illuminati believed to be the group that controls everything. And then the theory goes they use smaller organizations like the Freemasons and the Council on Foreign Relations and the Catholic Church and Scientology and the entertainment industry, especially music in the entertainment industry. 
And these are all tentacles of control because they touch on every single aspect of society. So this is why it starts to get really confusing. Like I said earlier, when you spend a lot of time reading about this stuff, it gets confusing on the internet, right? Because at a certain point, you're not really sure. Like I pull up an article about the Illuminati and they're just talking about devil worship. Well, that's not directly connected to the Bavarian Illuminati. So it's, it's, it's nuts. Um, I personally would propose that part of the way this conspiracy has always worked has been to just suggest that powerful people can't be trusted. Let me, let me tell you my version of, of the Americanization of this idea. It makes sense to me that hundreds of years later, this would persist in America because of the narrative that we have created in our culture around hard work. Think about it. I got kids. You got kids. We tell our kids. If you work hard enough, you can achieve whatever you want. But that's not actually true, and we know that. We become adults. We, you know, I tried to play sports in high school. It didn't work, right? I tried to be a musician, and then I decided just to play in my bedroom. You know, like you, yes, maybe if I worked harder, I could have achieved those things, but maybe not, right? I probably would not have ever become Justin Timberlake or, you know, name somebody. Um, But think about it this way. If you're someone who is disgruntled about your place in life and you look at someone whose music you hate, you just really don't catch their vibe, it's really much more satisfying to just assume that that person didn't earn what they have, right? Because that's really what it's all about. It's about shortcuts, right? It's about we don't respect you because you got to where you are through nefarious means and not through hard work. And that supports my worldview that with hard work, I could be you. But the reason you're you is because you had help from some version of the 1781 Bavarian Illuminati. Does that make sense? How do you feel about that assessment? Anyway, how does one who believes this start to build a case against a celebrity or a rock star to prove their Illuminati ties. Starts with signifiers, okay? Remember how I said they're big on secrets, secret messages, and, you know, symbols? Easy place to start here is with the eye of providence. That's the triangle with the eye in the middle. It's on the dollar bill. This is a lightning rod for conspiracy theorists because it's everywhere, including the dollar, and the great seal of the U.S. There's an awesome BBC piece in the show notes on the history of this symbol because it traces the history of the symbol across centuries. But I'm going to boil it down for our purposes to say, originally, I providence Christian symbol. It was to illustrate God's all-knowing providence and protection. Earliest examples of, of it being used, religious art of the Renaissance period, like 1525. It's the first example a lot of historians point to. Now, why has it persisted as iconography for so long? Now, the piece from the BBC says this, quote, the eye of the providence on the $1 bill tells us much more about late 18th century aesthetics than it does about the authority of secret elites. Now, fun fact, you can actually search, quote, Illuminati hand signal, end quote, on the stock photo selling website Shutterstock, and you'll get some great results. But if you're playing along at home and you just, you can't visualize what this looks like, put both hands out in front of you, palms out like you're going to push somebody and then connect your pointers in your thumb so that you're making a triangle. 
you got it? You looking at it? That, my friend, is the universal hand sign for two things. The Illuminati and Jay-Z's Rock Nation. Dropping in to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by DB Bags. DB is a Scandinavian brand that's getting you back on the road. You're traveling again, and you need a backpack, you need a bag, you need something to keep you on the move. From the streets to the peaks, DB's gear is travel-tested by some of the world's best athletes, adventurers, and creators. And over the past decade, they've designed and developed, released and refined the best bags in the market. And now, we're teaming up with them, exclusively offering you 10% off your next purchase by using the code POD10 or going to the link in our show notes. DB, it's time to move on. It's time to get going. Let's do it. So we've got to talk about Jay-Z if we're talking about musicians and Illuminati rumors. Uh, theorists have tagged Jay-Z since the beginning of his meteoric rise to fame in the 90s. And this is where we get back to this idea of like, here's a guy who's getting very successful seemingly quickly. He must have help from a nefarious source. People just immediately mistrusted him because he got famous and popular so fast. And guilty by association, you have his wife, right? Beyonce. So... We could spend hours taking apart the symbols and numbers the people claim present themselves in the music and videos and actions of Jay-Z and Beyonce, partly because they do, which we'll get to in a minute. But people say that these prove not only that they're Illuminati, but that they might be like the ruling king and queen of the Illuminati at this point in history. <laughs> but for time's sake, I'm just going to pick out a few of my favorites. Uh, for Jay-Z, let's talk about feuds of sorts with two other rappers. Uh, we already learned on the Rick Ross episode recently, rap feuds can be a lot of fun to watch from the sidelines. Uh, first up... This was pretty insignificant, but hilarious to me. Can we talk about MC Hammer, the MC Hammer feud? Uh, researching this made me think we probably need a whole episode on MC Hammer. We've like, it had never occurred to me, but the rise and fall of MC Hammer is definitely something we could spend some time on. Uh, for today, a quick reminder, MC Hammer, big deal from roughly 88 to 92. Mainstream crossover rap music was kind of what he was doing, but then he becomes a punchline because rap starts to get more gritty, and he had been wearing golden parachute pants the whole time. Uh, and partly, he started and then returned to gospel rap. Um, but the other reason that people made a lot of fun of him is because he lost all his money, and that's what Jay-Z was doing. In 2010, Jay-Z drops a verse on a Kanye song. He mocks MC Hammer for losing the money, and then MC Hammer releases a video where he accuses Jay of having these Illuminati and satanic ties. And so, leaning into his gospel and Jesus rap pedigree, in the video, he forces Jay-Z to be baptized. That's his idea of a feud. Uh, the more substantial and explicitly Illuminati-related rap attack, though, it actually was like done in seriousness. It comes a couple years later, three years later. 2013, Professor Griff goes on Coast to Coast AM. Uh, you're going to enjoy the next couple of hours here. Welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Nori with you. Professor Griff is an internationally renowned educator, writer, producer, musician, platinum recording and spoken word artist, a lecturer, founding member of the revolutionary hip-hop group Public Enemy. And in his years in the music and entertainment industry, combined with his in-depth research, provides insight on just how the elitists are using hip-hop and music in general to control, brainwash, and just do all kinds of things to our culture. Let me break down both of those things for you. Uh, <laughs> Professor Griff did a stint in Public Enemy, right? So he's definitely acknowledged uh, as, as, as a real rap guy. Coast to Coast AM, 
I hope that you know what Coast to Coast AM is. If not, I encourage you to seek it out. It's a syndicated radio show that was known for its emphasis on topics relating to the paranormal and the pseudoscience and conspiracy theories like this. So if you ever see like depicted in a film or a book where like someone's listening to late night radio and they hear people calling in saying they've seen UFOs, like that's that's basically a riff on Coast to Coast AM. It's around forever and it, it brings out all sorts of oddities. Let's just leave it that way. So Professor Griff actually known as Richard Griffin, uh, explained on this show that Jay-Z, wittingly or unwittingly, is helping the Illuminati use hip-hop as a way to infiltrate the black community. Uh, Hip-hop's original intention, according to Griff, raising up the dispossessed. But Jay-Z and other entertainers are subverting its purpose by using it as a weapon of control. Moreover, the record industry is complicit. This this is all according to, to Griff allowing the Illuminati to stage rituals as the music is being produced, which instill it with demonic energy. So we're just, we're jumping deep, right? It's not just that these guys are being controlled uh, or are part of a bunch of people who are controlling things. They're actually instilling the music with demons. So there you have it. Um, Now, how does Jay-Z respond to this? That's the question. Jay-Z is coy. Uh, unwilling to admit he is intentionally being provocative, but let's just say his use of symbols associated with the Illuminati, they've been on an uptick, and it's very explicit and obvious and almost silly, right? He front loads his associations with occultism and secret societies. There's a video where he wears a sweatshirt that actually has uh, Aleister Crowley's missive, Do What Thou Wilt, on it. Uh, At one time, his clothing line offered a number of shirts with unambiguous Freemasonry symbols, So let's talk about other super famous members of Jay-Z's household, his wife, Beyonce. This gets us back to pretty familiar territory on this show. Secret messaging in the music. Now, Murdoch walked us through the history and the highlights of backmasking on episode 36, Rock and Roll versus Satanic Messaging. I highly recommend. But to recap, some songs, if you play them backwards, may or may not contain secret messages. Like, according to people who, who subscribe to this theory on the internet... Beyonce's single ladies. So this is amazing. Listen to this. So if you miss that, what Beyonce is allegedly saying right there is the world will bow to me. People's tears will fall. Here, I'll play it again. Obviously, the link to the video is going to be in the show notes, and you can watch this interpretation because this is posted by some dude on the internet who calls himself like the uh, Illuminati Organization Outreach. I have no idea what that means, but this is the video to single ladies, and then there are closed captionings on top of it in which they interpret every scene of the video and what it says about the Illuminati. And... You know, it's literally like because it's in black and white and there's shadows, there's they're pointing to symbolism there. Um, there's a, like when you play the oh, oh, oh backwards, it sounds like ha ha ha. So they're saying that Beyonce is laughing at everyone because really she is the, the supreme ruler. It's pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie. I, 
I highly recommend. And, you know, what you're going to find out is there's a lot of this sort of stuff swimming around uh, on the Internet. And I was going to say on the depths of the Internet, but really just like on YouTube. Um, Now, a lot of what I just laid out for you is coming from this great book that came out in 2014 by Peter Berbigal. It's called Season of the Witch, How the Occult Saved Rock and Roll. And I'm going to directly quote him here to get us to our next story. This is an excerpt. It says, For those who are Christian, the architect behind the hip-hop Illuminati is Satan, who has been using pop music to subliminally convert the masses since Elvis first shimmied his hips. On Judgment Day, people will wake up and see that they have been duped, but it will be too late. They had unwittingly sold their souls during the 666th time they listened to a Jay-Z song. So, (laughs) great writing. Uh, Next question to address. Okay, we, we've established Jay-Z, Beyonce, Supreme Rose of the Illuminati. Um, is Taylor Swift really actually an Illuminati clone of Zena LaVey, the daughter of Anton LaVey, the man who founded the Church of Satan in 1966? That's a real question also being asked on the internet. And there's a reason for this. And this is where we're limited by not being a visual medium. But I am again going to encourage you to the show notes right now, as long as you're not driving, uh, pull out your phone and Google a picture of Zena LaVey. They do look alike. I'm not going to lie. But let me also just tell you some stuff about Zena LaVey. She published a book called Demons of the Flesh, The Complete Guide to Left-Hand Path Sex Magic. That's a great title, but I will not pretend to know the least bit what it means. Uh, so a little background on Zena, Zena LaVey, now known as Zena Shrek was a spokesperson for the Church of Satan between 85 and 90. Now, this was during the height of the Satanic Panic, which we have talked about on this show before. On our KISS episode a few months back, we talked about how there was this period specifically in the late 80s where there was a lot of daytime television devoted to the idea that all kids were like into Satan for some reason. And she was like doing the talk show circuit and stuff at this time. It Like, she quit the church in 1990 and... Yes, this is a year after Taylor Swift was born, but calm down. Uh, She became a tantric Buddhist. I also don't really know what that means. But there are people taking this whole concept of Taylor Swift being a clone. Can we talk about how difficult it would be to clone? Are clones? I mean, they cloned a sheep. Are we cloning people at this point? And is that what the Illuminati is going to spend their resources on? Cloning? And why would you clone Xena LaVey and make her? I guess I can kind of follow the logic of cloning Zena LeVay and making her a pop star. But, like, Zena LeVay's still alive. So it's all very, very confusing. But I will tell you, there are some great Instagram posts. Can I read an Instagram post verbatim? This comes from, I don't know, some account that I don't want to actually give credit to. It's written in all caps, and I'm just going to make it as far as I can. To the left, Taylor Swift, and to the right, Zena LeVay. They have both pictures up. Let's not overlook the uncanny resemblance between the two. Some say it's her hashtag clone. The Illuminati is known for doing this. They cl- Okay, wait, what? Why are it, They're known for doing that? They clone successful and influential people that will continue to carry out their sinister agenda for mankind. In parentheses here, this person writes, Keanu Reeves, Mark Zuckerberg, and many other celebrities. And the first time I read this, I thought it said Mark Hamill, and I was more intrigued. Look into it. The video... Hashtag bad blood has a lot of satanic symbols and messages here. It shows quote catastrophe 
Swift kicked out the window by arson. Hashtag Selena Gomez. And then it shows Swift getting her body reconstructed, making her superhuman or maybe immortal. Hebrew word value for Zena Taylor bad blood is identical twins with a number value at 1330, which 33 is obviously associated with the Illuminati. It goes on. I didn't even know you could use this many characters on Instagram. It's very long. And then there's a lot of hashtags at the bottom that include Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. Like they were just trying to get eyeballs. I'm very confused by all of it. All that nonsense is totally next level, but I'm hung up on Keanu and Zuckerberg. But since specifically I'm supposed to be reporting here on rock and roll, I refused the urge to Google that and go down that wormhole. So maybe another time. Uh, but I did go ahead and decide that we would finish with a grab bag of other good Illuminati, Illuminati rock and roll rumors, specifically rock and roll, specifically in the wheelhouse of this show going classic. Let's go. We've talked about Jay-Z. We've talked about Beyonce. We've talked about Taylor Swift. This didn't start in the last 20 years. This has been going on for quite some time, as we've established. And even in the rock and roll world, Jimi Hendrix. Okay. The thought around Jimi Hendrix is pretty similar to the thought around Jay-Z being Jimi Hendrix got really, really popular really fast. And he was really good at what he did. And... So people started saying he must be empowered by something nefarious. Now, this is people who really dig into this also like to say that at some point he outlived his usefulness to the cabal or to the Illuminati, and that whole drug overdose thing was staged. That was all fake. I've actually even seen it said he didn't do drugs at all. The Illuminati set this all up, created the all of the things they needed to convince the world that Jimi Hendrix was a drug addict. That's a lot of organization. Def Leppard. Here's another one. Are they actually the Illuminati's favorite band of the 80s? Maybe. I did find a link to an essay that made the case that the band has deep connections to the Jewish Masonic Illuminati conspiracy. This is like a special brand. They said that they expressed it through lyrics and imagery, quote, but I'm sad to report that when I clicked the link, the link was broken, even though it used to lead to what sounds like a highly reputable website, fitsinfo.wordpress.com. <laughs> is no longer in operation, unfortunately. Speaking of amazing websites, how about the website that I found where they did a strange breakdown of We Didn't Start the Fire, um, saying that Billy Joel might be a messenger of the Illuminati? Okay, they call the lyrics to We Didn't Start the Fire a hip-hop prophecy. And again, I'm at a loss as to what that is supposed to mean, but it definitely means the Illuminati or the devil are involved. And I feel like we can't put a proper into this episode without discussing Madonna. Now, Madonna has always been thrown in this group. Again, the reason exactly, I don't know. Uh, highly successful, people probably irritated by that. Uh, so what does she do? She decides to write a song about the Illuminati conspiracies. Uh, she sings and she raps about Jay-Z, Beyonce, Kanye West, Nicki Minaj, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Lady Gaga, Justin Bieber, Barack Obama, LeBron James, Lil Wayne, Pope Francis, Queen Elizabeth II, Bill Clinton, Rihanna, and Oprah Winfrey. All in this song called Illuminati. You guessed it. Behind the curtain of the New World Order. It's not platinum and cryptic corners. It's not Isis or the Phoenix. Pyramids of Egypt don't make it into something sort of. It's not 
got Steve Jobs over the gates. It's not the Google of the United States. It's not Bieber or LeBron, Clinton or Bond, or anyone you love to hate. That is from her Rebel Heart album, which came out in 2015. And, uh, you know, it, it basically sums up a lot of the stuff we have already talked about on the show in terms of the uh, symbols and things that are associated with it. Uh, Rolling Stone asked her about it, and um, she said... People are always using the word Illuminati, but they're always referencing it in an incorrect way, which we did kind of discover uh, today, that people are typically don't really know what they're referencing. If they're referencing the historical thing or the kind of fake thing from the 70s. People often accuse me of being a member of the Illuminati, and I think in today's pop culture, the Illuminati is perceived as a group of powerful, successful people who are working hard behind the scenes to control the universe. Not people with consciousness, not people who are enlightened, which to her point was the original idea behind the guy who started this secret society in the 1700s, right? He said, I want to use these enlightenment ideals. People were accusing me of being a member of the Illuminati. This is Madonna speaking again. And I kept going, wait. So first I had to figure out what that meant. (laughs) I'm glad to say that if you are a pop star listening to this and people are accusing you of being in the Illuminati, hopefully we have at least eliminated that step that Madonna had to go through. She said, I then, then she says, I know who the real Illuminati are, and I know where that word comes from. The real Illuminati were a group of scientists, artists, philosophers, writers who came about in what is referred to as the Age of Enlightenment. I love that, like in Rolling Stone, she's just laying down the, the facts. And right after that, everything flourished. So we had people like Shakespeare and Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo and Isaac Newton and all these great minds and great thinkers, and they were called Illuminati. It had nothing to do with money and power. Of course, they were powerful because they influenced people. But their goal was to inspire and enlighten. So when people refer to me as a member of the Illuminati, I always want to say, thank you. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Uh, If you want to get involved with the show, please, uh, by all means, send us an email at wearethestorygues at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your Illuminati theories. I'm sure I probably missed a a big one. Uh, If you want to send us that, we we can catch up on a later episode. Hopefully, Murdoch is going to be feeling better and back next week. And in the meantime, I have to say the tagline, which is, we need you to keep telling stories. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright Boy Have We Got Stories Productions. All rights reserved.